0: Hey guys, and welcome back to The Nanny Scene. We are joined this week by Nancy Andrews. i um, really excited for this episode. And uh, just a, a brief introduction to, to Nancy herself. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know Nancy, she is a very, very successful bodybuilder, natural bodybuilder in her, in her own right. Um, you would have seen, if you'd seen my uh, Instagram share, a few of uh, Nancy's stage shots. Um, so you knew the amount of muscle that she carried um, in fact, a lot of my male clients were replying saying they need to up their game um, <laughs> because your, your stage shots, like, I remember the first time that I, I came across them um, when we originally became friends on Facebook and I was just blown away with the amount of muscle in your shape. Um, so it's a pleasure to have you on. First of all, how are you? How are you dealing with this, this situation? Give us a bit of an insight as to how the WMBF themselves are dealing with this, this situation at the moment.
1: Sure. Well, thanks for having me, AJ. It's an honor um, and I'm I'm happy to be on and, and hope that we can get some good information out there to people and answer some questions because I know that's been a, a big thing all over is just the wait and see. Like, oh, well, we're going to do this. No, we're not going to do this. We're going to do this. So there's been a lot of changes. And then also with the pandemic, every area has their own rules and policies on how they're handling the pandemic. So, you know, what's happening, I'm in Massachusetts and Massachusetts is considered a a hot spot um, with the coronavirus. So what our governor chooses to do, you know, right down the road in Connecticut, which isn't that far, they may be doing something else. So we've been trying to stay on top of what the constraints are in each area. And, you know, obviously, we don't want to put people in a situation where they're at risk. You know, we're trying to follow all the guidelines, but the guidelines are very, very different throughout. Um, For me personally, this is the first time in 25 years I've had this long a break from promoting (laughs) because I've always had shows going. So the spring's been kind of crazy because um, I had added a new spring show in Connecticut that was called the Spring Mania and that got canceled right away. Like as soon as this came out, Connecticut just said, nope, you're not doing it. So that we actually just pushed off till next year cause it was a brand new show. Um, my two biggest spring shows for me personally are I do a novice Northeast classic which is uh, only novice show. We ended up splitting the Northeast classic because the numbers were so big. Um, And then I do a regular Northeast Classic with the Pro American. And those have been pushed out and we're going to be doing those later on. The majority of the WMBF shows, everything, every affiliated show, so all of the international shows all got pushed out. So those are all coming more like late summer, fall. Um, You know, Lee's, Lee's shows I know got pushed out your spring stuff yes you had to push that out too um and as far as the u.s shows so on our docket our first u.s show is actually mine um here in massachusetts june 20th and 21st and we're still waiting on the state regulations which will come out june 8th as far as how many people we can have there we i have already given up On the audience we won't have an audience but we will have a live feed so people can still see it Um, there's a lot of people that have been holding over for the spring so the goal with that is just to have the show and be able to have it the only way I was even allowed the possibility of having it is that I said we absolutely will not have an audience so a lot of promoters aren't in a position they can do that
0: okay sure So, Nancy, uh, I got carried away talking about your physique and actually forgot to mention that you are the president of the WMBF in your introduction. Um, I want to know a little bit more about how you came about that role, how you got into, first of all, bodybuilding itself, and then Mm -hmm. how it transitioned to then becoming the president of arguably the the best natural federation in, in the world.
1: Yeah. So you want a short version or you want, let's go
0: for a, let's go for a, a medium so we can actually ask some other Wait, questions. You want me yeah.
1: to stop if I'm talking too much, cause I can talk a lot.
0: Oh, that's good. Um,
1: so, uh, how I got into bodybuilding, I was a collegiate gymnast. I got out of college. I needed something to do. Um, I was coaching, but I joined the gyms and at the gym right away, I had, oh, you should compete. And I'm like, compete in what? Like, I can't do gymnastics anymore at that level. You know, I'm thinking gymnastics terms, but I ended up getting hooked up with a a gym that uh, my, the gym that I started at was the Gold's Gym in Worcester. Um, And at the time there were not millions of Gold's Gyms, but you know, every major city had pretty much had a Gold's Gym. And the gym owner was so committed to bodybuilding that he actually ran a gym show that was for just our Gold's Gym. And some pretty famous bodybuilders came out of the Gold's Gym gym show.
0: On, Jay name, Cutler. No way. Jay Cutler, wow.
1: 4 time Mr. Olympia. And I guess I might be a little famous in the natural realm, <laughs> but I'm not quite Jay Cutler. But yeah, so Jay was working out there at the same time I was, he was a teenager. Um, I competed in the gym show and went on and continued competing in all kinds of natural shows I did and non-tested shows. I did the MPC, I did the NABA. At the time there was an organization that was pretty big um, in especially in the northeast it was the AMBC and and, uh, most of the AMBC promoters actually went on and promoted for OCB. They didn't you know that that was kind of where the OCB took over the AMBC and that's where they had a big base of, of competitors. But um, so I competed in all that kind of stuff. And, and one of my friends had said, Oh, you should do this um, NGA, the NGA you can qualify to be a natural pro. And I was like, Oh, well, what did, what's that all about? And so I got some information on it. I flew down, I went to a show Um, in North Carolina. It was called the, what was it called at the time? It, It became the Atlantic Coast, but it was called something else when I won it. I can't even think of what it was called. But anyway, it was Damian Fisher was the promoter. And he actually ended up being a promoter for the IMBF. But I competed in his event. I won his event. I won my WMBF pro card. And then from there, I was like, okay, so what is this? natural pro about. And at that time, the reason I flew to North Carolina to compete was because the way the WMBF was set up in the U.S. at that time, they had two qualifiers in New York, one in North Carolina, one in Texas, you know, so there were not so many. Every show was not a pro qualifier. And you know if if we could go back to that it would probably be better but it's hard now just because of the whole landscape of natural bodybuilding um so it was a lot like people would try you know 10 times before they'd get a pro card and it's probably more similar to what it's like where you guys are where you know people are competing and putting a lot of time in and eventually they get to the point that they win their pro status mm-hmm. so Um, so from there, I, and at the same time, so I won a pro card, the person that did the gym show said to me, Hey, you know, you know, a lot of people, you're, um, social, you're outgoing, you know, you go to all these gyms. What do you think about us promoting a a regular show? So I was, and I had only been involved with bodybuilding for like a year, but I, my husband who Lee knows my husband was really into bodybuilding and he was connected with a lot of different people in bodybuilding. So going from you know, just being a competitor, I was going to different gyms and working out and meeting people. I knew a lot of trainers locally. Um, and you have to remember back then there was no internet. So the way that we were marketing our shows was kind of grassroots. Like I'd go to a, a gym, meet a trainer, they'd bring two or three people, go to another gym. So I spent a lot of time early on traveling to different gyms to work out myself. And then I would meet these different local people. And I had a huge network of people that I knew within the sport that I could call on the phone. We actually called people back then. Um, <laughs> call on the phone and be like, hey, you know, what's going on? We are thinking of doing the show in May. You know, would you come? Oh, of course I'll come. You know, call me when it gets closer. You know, it was just different. It was a different time period. So, um so I started promoting and we I promoted for AMBC because that's who I was familiar with the most and I had competed with and I wanted to promote drug tested. I didn't want to promote a non-tested organization. Even though I had jumped in some of their shows, it was kind of fun to do just to see how you do. Um, I wanted to promote the drug free because I knew that that was a better path for people and that the things that they would get from it would be more positive than there was, you know, they were going to learn about health and nutrition and they will in any, any way you compete, but just the, the, I was familiar with that. I liked that. I wanted to promote that. I wanted to promote that people can do this without drugs. They can look really good. They can be competitive. They can have a good experience. So we promoted for them. And, um, that was 96. And then the next year I competed in the world's, and I won. And it was actually kind of, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I had gone into the show. I knew at the time, the biggest name in the WMBF was Kathy Younger. and Kathy Younger was in the show. And I was like, oh my God, Kathy Younger's in this show. And she was, she's incredible. She's a, a you know, a great competitor. And the other interesting thing from that show, my husband came with me. We weren't married at the time, and he knew Bob Gruskin. Um, I didn't know I didn't know a lot who a lot of people were in bodybuilding. And so Gruskin was actually at the WMBF Worlds that year taking uh-huh. photographs. And my husband, when the women went on, you know, he's like, oh, wow, this is a really good class. Now, then there weren't weight classes. It was just everyone was in one class. And I think there were 20-something people. Um, so he asked Ruskin, like, well, who do you, you think, you know, Unger huge. Like, who do you think's got it? He goes, no, no, Unger's not going to win today. The, that smaller girl over there, the short one she's going to (laughs) win. That was me. (laughs) And so we kind of laughed about that, that, uh, and and my husband said to me, I'm like, Oh, so what do you think? And I, he usually wouldn't say that much after the prejudging, because you don't know how it's going to come out. So he said, well, I, I'm not sure, but Bob Gruskin thinks you're going to win. So most likely it's going to happen. So we always kind of chuckled about that after that it was kind of funny. So, um, yeah, so that was, you know, and then I went on and continued competing for years. And, and, and just, you know, just the WMBF. At the same time, I switched my shows over because they needed to be WMBF qualifiers. Because at the time, the AMBC was not affiliated with the WMBF. So it became a conflict to the WMBF that I want I wanted to compete with them. And they said, look, you you can't, you know, compete with us and then you're going and promoting something else. So that's kind of where I came into being a promoter. And I continued promoting from that point on for the WMBF. Um, And then, uh, you know, I went to many, many worlds from there. I was a every other year kind of gal. I'd win. I wouldn't win. I'd win. I wouldn't win. <laughs> but um, uh, looking back on it, a lot of it was my own fault because every time I would win, I would always, and, and I didn't figure, it took me a while to figure this out that this is what it was. I'd win. And then I'd be like, oh, I have to do something different next time so that I'm better. And it never worked. And then, so then when I'd lose, I'd just go, oh, well, you know what, what worked was what I did two years ago. So you know what, I'll go back to that. And then I'd win. And then finally, when it got to be like 2003, I had won. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go for one more because I have to break this pattern. This is like awful. I'm every other year, um, I'm going to do the same thing again. And hopefully the result is better because I'm going to continue on what I was working. And, uh, and then I won in 2004 and that was it. So that was my, my competitive, uh, and so my my advice is, if something works and you're winning, don't change it too Stick much.
2: It. Good <laughs> advice. Good advice.
0: Fantastic. So, yeah, I think uh, now I'll hand over to Lee a little bit, and Lee can direct some some questions your way. Um, sure. That was that was a great introduction to your past, and a lot of people, um, when I asked for for topics on Instagram, wanted to know a little bit more about your background, how you got into the sport. And it was interesting that you were a gymnast, etc. That seems to be very common amongst mm-hmm. high performing athletes is that they did something. Um, generally, sometimes it is a sort of a, more of a, a single person sport that they play up until right. uh, then bodybuilding and then do really well. So, yeah, it's interesting to hear, Lee. Um,
2: feel free. Thanks, AJ. So, yeah, to put a bit of context on a couple of things that Nancy said, and I'm very mindful that a lot of the, the listeners to this podcast are going to be in the UK. So as much as I know things that you're referring to, um, they may not. So I'm just going to put okay. a bit of context on a couple of things. You mentioned Kathy Unger, who was the, you know, the, the number one competitor in the WMBF at the time, wasn't she, when, when yeah. you first came onto the scene? For those of you that don't know, Kathy Unger was actually an IFBB professional and she competed in the Olympia. Um, she was incredibly high level back back in the 90s, in the mid-90s. Yeah. You also referred to Bob Gruskin as well, didn't you? Yeah. Um, who I referred to a few podcasts ago um, because I was listening to a, a tribute show, the Dave Palumbo tribute mm-hmm. to him. Yes. Uh, Bob passed away recently, rest in peace. Yeah. And, and, uh, and he was a, an absolute legend, you know. Anybody that was anybody was either photographed or coached or advised by Bob Ruskin back in, back back through the 80s, 90s. You know, some of the absolute greats of the sport. And I had to have a little bit of a chuckle when you when you talked about him speaking with Jim at that that Worlds contest because yeah. as soon as as soon as you gave that anecdote about Bob Ruskin saying that you you he picked you as the winner, I thought to myself straight away, I know what Jim would have thought there because I know Jim fairly well. Jim would have thought, well, that's it. If Bob says she's won, she's won because he's not wrong. He's not wrong about these things. He's got an incredible eye for bodybuilding. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm right in thinking that 2004 was your fifth world title. Yeah. Fifth. And that fifth world title, in my view, and in, in many, many people's views, solidifies you as, as almost certainly the, the greatest female bodybuilder to ever sort of grace the stage in natural bodybuilding. Um, I know you. there have been some fantastic athletes along the way, um, yeah. who've who've also got some really impressive track records. But I, I just want to say, as as well as sort of working for you as one of your affiliates within the WMBF, it's it is a real honour to to call the greatest athlete of all time a friend of mine, and it's it's wonderful to have you on the show.
1: Thank you. Lee. Um,
2: so going forward from your competitive career, when you finished in in 04 competing. Mm-hmm. And I've got another anecdote that somebody told me about that that we'll come on to later. But going forward from there, how did you get yourself from the position where you were sort of high ranking, the number one sort of competitive athlete in the world? How did you get from there to being co-owner and president of the WMBF? What was that process in the middle?
1: Well, so as I had mentioned with the... um, promoting I started promoting almost as soon as I started competing like I had not even been competing a year and I do think a lot of the the ways that we promoted back then led to longevity in my promoting career because you see a lot of promoters coming and going um, for a lot of reasons but for me you know I made a lot of friends along the way that we are still friends today and we can talk a little bit more about that but um, with the promoting, so even as I was competing as a pro, I was promoting shows. I was promoting my June show, which is my um, Northeast Classic show here. And then at different points, we had added pro pieces. Like one time we had added just pro figure. The pro setup, how to, um, to become a pro promoter for the WMBF back then, they had a little bit different um, standards because they wanted everything really going through New York. They wanted the pro shows to be in New York. And then as they started doling shows out to different people and different promoters, they were trying to give them to the amateur promoters that were you know, 100 plus athletes. They didn't wanna have a pro piece with a show that had 30 amateurs. They wanted a big amateur and then the pro piece added. So I had volunteered to take the pro masters. The, in New England, for whatever reason, um, we have a lot of master competitors. We have way more than any place else. So I had volunteered to take the pro masters. And at some point I had the pro figure. Um, And eventually it, uh, so I had those two and I can't remember the year. The pro American was a show that was attached to the Texas shredder show. Mm -hmm. And And that was
2: Dave, Dave Gooden's show at the time, wasn't it? He was a former world champion. Yeah.
1: yeah. I think it was Oh nine maybe that Gooden left um, and went on to something else. So the pro-American show became available. And so my shows that were kind of mixed match of different classes became the pro-American. So I was, I had the opportunity to do the pro-American. So with the WMBF as an organization, you know, there were a lot of challenges at the time because we had a lot of new organizations coming up. Um, We had, multiple U.S. amateur natural organizations. Everybody thought that they could do it better. At the same time, magazines were starting to go the other way. So that was a big part of their business was the magazine. They were a publishing company. The person running the WMBF at the time was Charlie Carollo. Mm -hmm. And I was really close with Charlie. Like he was somebody that I talked to on a regular basis. We would bounce things off some of the decisions in the WMBF. You know, I knew everything that was going on because Charlie was keeping me informed. And at the same time, I was promoting some pretty big shows for them because I had, uh, in 2003, I ended up buying the Monster Mash. And everybody, I remember when I bought it, people are like, why would you pay money for a show? You can just go and promote your own show. You don't need to. But the person that had the show had promoted it for a number of years. His name was CJ Bouchard. And I felt like there was a value to his show Mm. and that I wanted to be fair with him because I knew that if I took it and it was just mine that I would be able to do well, I'd be able to promote it. So I, uh, initially he wanted to be involved. He wanted me to be bringing him back. And I said, look, CJ, the best way I see this working is that we just, you know, I pay you for it and we both move on because if it's still your show, if I'm still bringing you back and it's your show, then I'm not developing anything over this time. So let's just, I'll pay you for the show. You're always welcome to come back. You know, I would have you, you know, a part of the show if you want to be part of it, but I think it needs to be a clean split. And so initially I was not allowed to promote it in Massachusetts because it was a Connecticut show. So I was promoting that show in Connecticut as close to Massachusetts as I could get because I live in Massachusetts. The States are small here, so it's not like it's, you know, going um, from one end of California to the other. Um, So I did the uh, Monster Mash in 2003. So, you know, as I was stopping competing, I had these two events. I always did a weekend seminar camp that was big. Like we'd get a hundred people that would come to this and we'd bring in different kinds of people. And I was very involved with promoting the organization even though at the same time the organization was starting to go a little bit the other way. You know, people were breaking off. Somebody wanted to do their own thing. They could do this better, they could do that better. Um, But Charlie always was good about keeping me informed on what was going on, asking for input. What can we do to get more people? But the problem was is that as the magazine was starting to fail, you know, you could see it was harder for them to do the pro shows. It was harder to pay the prize payout. People weren't getting photo shoots. Um, the worlds was added. It used to be a pro only event. Then we had to add amateurs in. You know, there were. It used to just be pros. Like we'd go to the show. It was all pros. You. Know, there were men's classes that had sixty people in them. They were huge, and it was a different time in a different world, and a, a lot was different. So, with that, in two thousand thirteen, Charlie came to me and said, "Look." You know, Che doesn't want to do the Worlds. Che was the owner of the magazine, the Natural Bodybuilding magazine. Che doesn't want to do it. And, and I was like, well, why? You know, you can't not have Worlds. Like this is, you know, we've been doing this since 89. You have to have Worlds. That's the show. And so Charlie uh, said, no, no, Chay's not going to do it this year. So, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. And I said, Well, we can't not have it. Like this show has to happen. And I said, What what can I do? Charlie goes, Well, you can promote it. <laughs> and I was like, What? And he's like, Well, you know, do you think you could promote worlds? And I'm like, Well, what what you know, where are you having it? And he goes, Oh no, no, we're not gonna have it. You're gonna have it. So you pick where you want to have it. And I was like, Well, if I'm gonna have it, like I needed to be close to where I live because at that time, you know, my kids were both very young and it just was like i can't go like this the idea of me going to new york and trying to run this international event with a little help from you know he obviously helped me a lot he did a lot to help me to make it work but he said no have it where you are even though it's a little bit out there you know you're not in a major city but you're in a big enough city you know find a place see if you can do it and uh and what as soon as we figured out yeah i could do it um i switched my venue. For my monster mash to a bigger venue because i wanted to have a dry run so we said look let's run the monster mash in the same venue that we're going to run the world so that we've at least been through it once um because there's always little things you know when you're promoting that you're like oh i should i should have done that i could have done that oh, yeah. so i got a group of people from here and i've been really fortunate with With the um, promoting side, that a lot of my friends that I met back when I used to travel all over to different gyms have also stayed friends with me and they want to be part of the show. So we get a lot of the same people and um, they would come and help. And so we got our kind of our team together and said, Hey guys, what do you think about the worlds? And they were like, Oh, yes, yes, do it, do it. This is awesome. So the next thing was, Charlie said, All right, you got to get in touch with Lee Kemp because. You need, you need Lee's support. If Lee supports this, the other people will also come. So I, I got in touch with you. I think it was just via email back then. It was,
2: yeah, uh, yeah. I yeah. sent
1: an email and I explained the whole thing, what was going on. You know, Lee was aware that, you know, the magazine's not doing well. This event has to happen. We really need it to happen. And Lee was the first one that said, I am behind it 100%. I will have a team there. I will under, we will definitely show up. We will compete. And, uh, you took a lot home. <laughs> you guys did really well there too.
2: <laughs> we had a good year. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That was a great year, but that was kind of, so at, at that point, we all kind of knew that the WMBF was struggling financially, you know, that things were not going well. Cause the magazine was subsidizing the organization. So with the magazine not there, not able to do as well. Um, at the same time, Charlie was not gung-ho about taking it over. Cause I said, Charlie, why don't you take over the WMBF and you know, run it? And he's like, nah, I'm I'm good. You know, I've I've had my time, I've been doing this for too long. You know, it's just we're not, you know, I don't, I don't see it working. And after multiple conversations with che and believe it or not matt park matt park Mm -hmm. was part of that coming together because i think che would have liked to see matt park take over the wmbf okay that was Che's um and he really liked matt matt has great energy he's real positive he's a young guy a real go-getter um, but I think for him too, it was a little overwhelming. So at that world, I, I you know, talked to Matt and Jay had already approached Matt at that time. That's like, uh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? And I'm like, well, you know, if you really want to do this, you know, I'm going to support it. And then we had talked about, you know, possibly doing it together. Um, how would that work with him owning at the time he had IMBF Canada?
2: That's you know, right. Yeah.
1: I was a promoter in the Northeast, you know, it's a big country. And Bob and Tina, I had invited to judge that world. So I had been friends, I competed with Tina. Um, I think the first time I met Tina was like 98. She was competing, I was competing. We competed a number of times together. Um, Before 9-11, you know, Bob had competed in the, I think it was the universe show or the international they had in New York. I had traveled down to see them that weekend to see them compete. So we were, you know, just buddies. And when I was taking on the worlds, they were like, Oh, you know, that'd be cool. We'll come and judge for you. So they came and then the idea of, Hey, maybe if we can get, you know, I can handle the East coast that seemed more comfortable for me because my kids were little at the time. So it was 2013. My son was three. My daughter was five, you know, the whole and i already have a full-time job my family has a business that i work full-time the whole idea of doing all of this i'm like you know i need more help than that i don't think i can do it all and bob and tina were just like oh this is like such a great opportunity because they were doing a lot of the same things i was doing on the west coast and you know were involved in a lot of shows and had a lot of connections So we kind of all got together. And as the chips fell, uh, Matt decided that it probably wasn't the best move for him. He didn't have his heart and soul in it. He kind of was in between whether he wanted to do IMBF Canada or take on a new career. Or so he bowed out and we moved forward and, you know, Tina, Bob, and I took it over. And that was 2014. And, you know, it's, it's been good. It's been, there's been a lot of ups and downs, more ups than downs, Um, lots of different kinds of struggles. Um, But I think, you know, moving forward, I think the future is very, very bright. And um, the affiliates having the affiliates and having the presence internationally is huge is, is, you know, really makes it different than a lot of the U.S., organizations that promote natural bodybuilding that have a world championship with all us competitors and one guy from Canada.
2: (laughs) Well, it's like you say, when we have our uh, affiliates meeting every, every year at the world's the W stands for world, doesn't it? Yeah. I know, I know Tina uses that, that phrase a lot when, 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 when you speak to us and um, you know, in, in representing the the, the WMBF and the W does stand for world. And and yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's blossomed, hasn't it, to, to a, huge, a huge affiliation, with 30 international affiliates now?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. About 30
2: international affiliates. But what, yeah. what you just said, it, absolute solid gold, I've sort of taken every word and sort of taken it in, and I've seen a few parallels come from it, and there are a few things that really struck a chord for me. Um, 96, the first year I ever promoted a show, mm-hmm. we, we promoted our first show it was in, in the same yeah. year, bizarre. Um, and you talk about the structure and there's another, there's another strange similarity. You talk about the structure of building your show up a little bit before you are allowed to put a pro show on, which is the same I went through as an affiliate. Yeah. Um, and then I remember discussing it with Charlie. I want to go down the road of a pro show. He said, well, we've got one pro men's bodybuilding contest in Europe. That was of course, Francois show at the time, yeah. Francois and Marcel show in, in Switzerland, yeah. which is an, a fantastic show. Yeah, Um, and he said, "You know, how about women's bodybuilding?" So our first contest, our first pro contest, was pro the pro women's European. Oh yeah! In 2013, we were the the first and only pro women's bodybuilding contest outside of the US. Uh, I think we would be the the only one ever. I think I don't think there's ever been another WMBF pro women's bodybuilding show outside the US apart from ours. And then another funny thing happened. Was you remember um, David Norm yes down in texas same same situation you're in um he he decided to go off and do something different and the pro international was being run by him at the time
1: oh that's right
2: and it became available and now it's our show yeah so we but we both got you got the pro american i got the pro international
1: we inherited them
2: inherited (laughs) them both from promoters from texas that went elsewhere right that's cool how weird is that yeah um yeah i was there in 93 um some other bits of context here. Matt Park, obviously, we've we've talked about. He was the president of IMBF Canada, uh, mm-hmm. which is now WMBF Canada. Um, his his vice president, Leo King, took that over a couple of years ago, didn't he? Yes. And Matt's moved on to quite a big career in uh, in the sports nutrition industry, hasn't he? He's got his yeah. uh, his own supplement yeah. line. Fantastic yeah. guy, yeah. full of energy, full of positivity, <laughs> kind, nice very, very motivated, wonderful guy. Yeah. I never I never knew he was involved in the whole sort of potential handover. He of, was, of but I think th-
1: it was, uh, you know, the timing of it wasn't good for his own personal development and his personal career. But I will always give him credit, and I appreciate mm. that he – because che, che had his people that he was comfortable with, and that was someone that he really felt yeah. comfortable with. With Matt, uh, prior to that, Che had 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 conversations with David Nall about the taking over the WMBF but it didn't go the same way. So oh. Matt, Matt's very diplomatic. And I really think that Matt, um, the, the comfort level that Che felt and that was something that, you know, Che had a vision that nobody else had in the late 80s. Yeah. Nobody else had this vision of, I want to support the people that do this naturally. And, you know, everyone in natural bodybuilding, Che and Charlie Carollo and Steve Downs, those three together were pioneers and they put natural bodybuilding on the map. And, you know, we can't forget that. So as Che was giving it away, you know, Che's motivation was not, he was going to make a million dollars out of natural bodybuilding. It was just a passion and a love and he had put a lot into it and his magazine was incredible when his magazine was going I can remember you know I couldn't wait for like oh okay it was quarterly and so I knew when it was coming and I was like oh I can't wait to get the mail because I know it's going to be coming any day um so you know the stuff that he was doing but but his comfort level with who was going to have his his organization when he met with with David Nall who David Nall was a promoter for the IMDF at the time he just didn't feel it, I think, and he bat. And Che, Che's the one that said, nah, I'll I'll keep it another year and see uh-huh. what happens." But with Matt, um, Matt's energy is just—it's so good. Like he's just so positive. He's such a good guy, and and he was passionate about it, but it didn't fit with his personal goals. So it was going to be different. He knew that it was not really what he wanted to be doing. And now he's like a motivational speaker. He's got his supplement companies doing all this fitness stuff. I mean, he's done fantastic. But if it weren't for him, I don't know that it would have gone the same way. Because I was not the person that Che wanted this going to. You know, I was there, I was promoting, I had the biggest numbers, I bailed them out on the you know, on the worlds that year by stepping up to, to do it. Charlie didn't want to be part of it. And you know, Charlie would have been ideal, but he didn't want to spend his time doing that. And Matt was the guy that, that Che really wanted to have it and wanted to be part of it. And, and it all worked out because, you know, I think Matt was smart enough to know it's important that this keeps going, but I'm not the person. And he bowed out before we even got going but he uh, didn't have, but he stayed in long enough that the deal was done
2: yeah i mean typically noble move of matt because he's a very yeah. humble very well thought of guy um you, you know m- much like yourself and it's a, a subject i'll come on to in a little bit because i've got a question based on that a great okay. business a great business brain as well as being passionate about bodybuilding a good bodybuilder. Um, yeah, Che, Che Lo, Charlie Carollo, they were the people that were sort of... Steve had, had left by that point. Yeah. Um, but Che and Charlie were in in the chair for the WMBF when when I first got involved. Yeah. Che, wonderful man, wonderful man. He could certainly... He could pick a fool a mile off that guy. Very wise, very astute man. Um, mm-hmm. And you talk about Charlie as well. There's a funny little side anecdote about Charlie. I remember when Charlie sent me the email... Um to let me know that you would be getting in touch with me about the 2013 Worlds and the title of the email and i excuse my language, there'll be some mild bad language but I'm paraphrasing the title okay. of the email the title of the email was actually every time I try and get away from this shit, it drags me back in <laughs> that was the title of the email that Charlie sent me I've still got it, I've still got well, it in, in, well, in an archive folder somewhere yeah. wonderful man um, I always got on really well with him, ex cop, yeah. uh, ex New York cop. You know, for those of you that don't know Charlie, just imagine Burt Reynolds with silver <laughs> hair, six foot five tall and six feet yeah. wide across the shoulders. You've got Charlie Carollo. Yeah. Um, you know, with a, a typically sort of New York Italian kind of temperament as well, you know, use the F word an awful lot, but mostly as a mostly as a salutation, not as a swear word. You know. <laughs> but, real fantastic guy and then of course yeah. you, you talked about the Monster Mash and people will get people here are probably going to think that's a pretty weird name for a bodybuilding contest but what I'll probably clarify for them because I came to the mash last year didn't I yeah uh, you did the, first, the first time I came yeah, and that was a great memory because it's still in the same venue that the 13 Worlds was held yeah. in it was still at Worcester State University yes. wonderful wonderful memory of being there and made some wonderful memories there yeah um, uh, because obviously that was the last time I got to see Bill Murphy,
1: mm-hmm. and Bill
2: Bill was one of the team that was behind you in thirteen putting the worlds together. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a real stalwart of the, the WNBF and a dear friend who we we lost earlier this year. So that yeah. that that will live on forever. That memory will. But I know the, the contest itself, the Monster Mash. For those of you that don't quite get it, it's kind of a Halloween themed show. Yes, and I never got it until th- last year when I came. And the competitors had their t shirts, they were orange t shirts with little pumpkins on them.
1: Yeah, I thought,
2: oh, I get it, I I know what I get why it's called the monster mash now because it's Halloween and like the monsters and the scary stuff. And yeah, I get that now, but yeah, 13 was a great time. Also, I I got to meet Bob and Tina for the first time when we came to the contest. I remember they were uh sitting in the hotel lobby having a drink when I arrived with the team on the Thursday night. Yeah and we we sat down Amy and I sat with them and started talking and didn't stop talking for hours and we've been great friends ever since. Yes. And no doubt we'll get Bob and Tina on to talk to us you know a few episodes down the line. Yeah. Um and and you guys have been working together since but the uh the whole the whole journey of going from bodybuilding competitor to you know switching your promotional affiliation to the WMBF to becoming the president of the wmbf and, and essentially keeping it alive stopping it from dying because that's what happened in 2013 wasn't it yeah um, it was. an enormous journey and 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 here was the question i was leading on to do you feel And i know what my answer to the question would be do you feel because i know you know obviously we've all got lives outside bodybuilding like you've you've intimated you're very much a part of your family business which is a successful family business. Do you believe your, your sort of your skills in business outside of bodybuilding have been the thing that's made your success inside bodybuilding in terms of you promoting and running the association so successful?
1: Uh, it's definitely helped because you know just handling different situations making choices mm-hmm. uh, or making decisions, based on facts, business facts, you know, there's certain policies like people will, like I can give you one policy that's just, I've been pretty adamant about and it's never failed to go the other way, um, to give a first time promoter a pro show. And I always say, absolutely not. And we have done it a couple times, I think twice since I have been in here, we gave one in Ohio. The show got canceled uh, because the numbers weren't there. So they just totally canceled it. We gave one last year in Orlando. Um, and again, you know, they had an okay event, but without having that amateur base, you're not going to make it. You, you're not going to make it. So it's a, you know, a one-time show. And hopefully the promoters of the Orlando show, they were both, you know, good guys and and I think can do well. But I think that that was probably not the best decision to add the pro piece with the prize money you know and that makes it tough but different decisions throughout the whole you know or the decisions that we have to make as owners of the organization you always have to think about longevity because mm. you know I don't want to run the business I can run the business for a year and make all kinds of decisions and at the end of the year that's it and we call it quits, or I can run the business and maybe make some decisions that may not be the most popular, but I know long-term, because I'm committed long-term, I'm not looking at one year, I'm looking at like five years from now, some of the decisions I make are gonna affect the income of this business, or they're gonna affect the promoter's ability to make money in this business, because it is a business. Um, If I make the wrong decisions, they may not stick around. You know, if I make bad decisions with my affiliates and start doing things that they decide, you know know what, I don't agree with her on that, you know, next year, I'm not going to sign back on. So we don't want to do that. We're trying to build long-term relationships and keep people with us. Just like in my family business, we make, believe it or not, electrical cables, Uh which (laughs) has nothing to do with this. But my customers, if I get a customer and I'm working with them, I want them coming to me on every project. I want them to come back to me and continue buying from me. I want the long-term business, you know, rather than starting over all the time. So it is similar in a lot of ways. And, you know, the policies of the organization, you have to think ahead. You have to be proactive. uh, You have to make sure you're not putting yourself in a position of huge risk um, because some promoters – you know, do some things that I would consider risky. So we try to keep our promoters informed. We try to keep our affiliates informed, even with this pandemic, you know, keep everyone informed so people know what they're getting into. And if it's too much for them, you know, you don't want to do it.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's kind of, uh, I I was talking to somebody about this a little while ago about, um, you know, the the running of the association and things that go on with it and, I can't. You ever seen the film Bruce Almighty, the Jim Carrey film? Yeah. You, you know the scene where you know he wants he wants a little he wants a bit of romantic mood light, mood lighting, so he pulls the moon a little bit closer, you know, to make things <laughs> right, you know right. nice and romantic. But then because he pulled the moon closer to the earth, some country got flooded. Yeah, right. You, right. you know, you have to weigh off those decisions. It's
1: exactly. It's,
2: and and I find I've certainly found as I've got. Not, not older, it's not about age uh, or particularly about the amount of years I've been in the game, but I found that the more successful I've got in life, and I'm not professing to be that successful, but the more, the more I've learned about life and the more grounded I've become in life, the yes. more able I've become to make less impulsive, more sensible decisions about the way the sport's run as far as we're concerned. Right, And, and it's the same with, with Mark Oakes. Um, Mark, yeah, obviously you know Mark very well. Yes, Mark is a, is an incredible mind. I mean everybody everybody that watched the podcast last week got an, an insight into just how razor sharp the brain of Mark Oakes is, and he he knows how to make a wise decision that might not be the prettiest decision. It might not be the decision that rubs everybody's ego the right way. Right, but but long term, it's always the best one. It's mm-hmm. you know, it's balancing off your love for bodybuilding and wanting to do everything, but knowing that the stuff that needs to be done and the garnish comes and goes as it pleases. And, and and I think I think we've all got a great balance of being able to do that. And I think we've all learned off from each other. I know I've certainly learned a lot from 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 being involved with promoters and people at that level. Oh
1: yeah. Yep.
2: within within the sport so the last thing about promoting before we move on because I know I've got we and AJ in particular it's AJ's podcast but we've got a lot of people that want to know about the sport side in terms of you personally because nobody's ever had a chance to talk to you or hear you talk about it before so we'll move away from the boring side of it you know the okay. bit that people just expect to happen
1: <laughs> yes. people
2: expect the contest to magically pop up don't they so they don't care yeah. about that part they do you know, yeah,
1: you know that the thing is, I remember um, uh, a funny thing about promoting, and Lee, you all appreciate this. Um, it was a, it was a promoter for another organization. that was someone that promoted the muscle mania, and he was getting so frustrated because the numbers of people, like one year he'd have this number, one year he'd have that number. You know, people, and and then he was a funny guy because he was kind of counting like, "Hey, the polygraph tester made more than me. Like this isn't right." The person doing you know the pictures they're making more than me this isn't right but he wrote Mm -hmm. this funny letter and it was about the competitors it was two competitors saying look you know I'm here every year I'm putting this out for you every year I'm you know I take all this risk on and then I get these notes oh I'm not gonna I'm gonna come next year I'm gonna do this next year I'm gonna do this in two years and he's like you know the promoter the, the competitors want us here every year because yeah. everybody's year is a different year. But nobody, you know, they don't want to support all the other stuff. So that's where I've always tried to get those competitors that aren't competing to come and help so that they're part of it in another way. Mm-hmm. So you just have to be creative with your resources to keep, keep people involved.
2: Yeah, we, we've, we've, had, we've got to, obviously, with the pandemic and stuff, you know, there are, there are a lot of people that have just thrown in the towel at the first hurdle. You know, the gym's going to be shut for a couple of months. I don't want to do, Yeah, you know, I can't do what I normally do. Forget it. You know, I'll come back yeah. next year. Just automatically assuming there's going to be a next year. You know, right, if, right. Exactly. if we if we can't put any shows, you know, if we didn't put any shows on this year because nobody turned out to compete in them, right. then we might not be able to do it next year. And I've been drumming the message home for a while. And this mm-hmm. leads on perfectly to my last point, you know. I've been drumming it home. I'm putting the show on. The yeah. show's going to happen. You will yeah. have a stage to compete on. I'm staying true to my commitment. This is what I do. I've got a full-time job. I try and get the occasional workout myself. I have a family. You know, I'm still gonna put my head on the block and do this. I'm gonna risk the money. I'm gonna, you know, I know that the association is an association run by many people, but I can trust you, you know, if 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 there, if that venue lies empty on contest day. The, the bill to pay for the rent of it comes out of my pocket personally exactly. you know there's there's no money there's no big pot of money at the end of the rainbow, you know, so I'm doing my bit and 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 I'm trying to encourage the athletes this year, even if you're not going to be quite as good as you thought you were going to be you know everybody's in the same boat yeah nobody's having the ideal year you know the sport still needs to live and breathe if it you know if the venues are open, and the shows are possible just compete just get your head down and do it right you know for for our listeners here in the uk you know just let them hear it straight from the president there's going to be a wmbf worlds this year and we're all going to be there that's right Yes,
1: we will definitely have worlds um the venue in la we've confirmed everything looks good there now you know there's a California is a huge state. If you had yeah. to move venues, you move venues. But it's going to happen one way or another. Tina's already has alternate venues that are private, that are, you know, hotel, ballroom kind of venue. Yeah. And if we have to go there, that's where we're going. It's kind of... Um, You know, I think the biggest challenge here, anyway, I don't know what it's like there with the pandemic, but here where I am, the biggest challenge is just to get something going. And that's why my June 20th show, people are like, you're crazy. Like, why would you do this? Well, I'm doing this because we can do this. If they tell Mm. me 50 people can be there, well, I'm not going to break the rules. Absolutely not. And it's going to be a lot more for me and my staff to manage and move people and get them in and get them out but we're going to make it work. It's going to happen. As long as the regulations are there, that we're allowed to have 50 people, no audience, we're going to do it. And I think that the, for the athletes, I am totally committed to doing this for them. And you know, there's not a huge benefit for me. There's no audience. We're doing, a, we're doing it to get the season going, to honor those people that have given up this time and I always I've said to every person thank you for entering you are going to be like one of the only people that not only fulfilled the challenge of competing you ch- competed through a pandemic with no no gym because gyms aren't open here except one Dave Blondin
2: you know okay. Dave
1: Blondin you met him
2: yeah Dave,
1: I, Prime, I, I do. Prime I do. Fitness you Prime know fitness, yeah. Yeah. yeah I do I so do. he's um he's challenged our governor and said look it's an order not a law and i'm opening and he gets fined every day and he's open and people are going there
2: i mean to be honest not that i'm trying to put the cat amongst the pigeons or cause any unrest in the uk and anybody that listens to the statement i'm about to make please please (laughs) don't don't say i told you to do this but it's it's the same here you know staying two meters apart from each other is government advice you know not right. being able to open a gym is government advice. It's it's, it's advice in terms of okay. your health. There's yep. no law. Well, it's so not, the, it's so not a law,
1: the, right? For the show that I have June twentieth, you know, gyms are not going to open. We're, we're hoping gyms open here June eighth. Uh, personal training gyms, but mm-hmm. old gyms aren't opening until July. So
2: same here, yeah. But yeah.
1: everybody's in the same state. The, you know, all anyone that's competing, and I have noticed with the numbers coming in for the entries, a lot of bikini. You know, not so many bodybuilders because obviously the bodybuilders need the need the heavier training. But mm-hmm. we should still have a decent decent yeah. amount. You know, and it should be good, and it'll be good. Just I think it will give people hope, and that hope will carry over for the rest of the year because finally there's something.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And so, and that's exactly, that's exactly the mentality I've had right from the start. As yeah. soon as it looked like there was going to be a problem here, yeah. before we went on lockdown, before anything got changed, I cancelled the shows all the way up till September. We have a novice championship in September. We have our open championship in October. Mm-hmm. I made it clear right from the start. Let's not mess around and cancel things bit by bit as the year right. happens. This is our plan. This is what we're going to deliver. Keep working towards it. There are so many people here that are training at home. You know, not as impressive as your home gym that you're sitting in at the moment, but there are some good home gyms out there. You know, one of the most you you'll have never have met this guy or even heard of him because he never really competed out. He went, I think he competed in France and Belgium because Mm -hmm. he could go there. This is a story I was going to tell AJ the other day. The guy never competed abroad because he wouldn't get on a plane. Oh. He was one of the freakiest, scariest natural bodybuilders we've ever had come out of this country. A guy guy named Rob Feezy. I'll I'll, I'll talk to Jim about him. I'll send him some stuff through. Uh, For those of you that don't know, Jim Broderick, Nancy's husband and I, talk for hours on Facebook comparing (laughs) pictures of old physiques.
1: They try to stump each other. (laughs) (laughs) We
2: always try to stump each other, yeah. He, He gets me more than I get him, though. But Rob, you know, he he his entire career trained in his garage, with a barbell and dumbbells, you know, doing pull-ups from the beams on his garage roof, and he's one of the best bodybuilders that's ever come out of this country. Yeah, and people just need to realise that it can be done. Um, Yes. But we're looking forward to seeing you at the worlds, and and I'm certainly going to be there. And one way or the other, like I say, whether we have a contest here or whether I get people to send me pictures of how they're looking and I pick my team from that. We're bringing Mm -hmm. a team to the world. You know, that's, we we, we've always committed. Yeah. That's bodybuilding. That's bodybuilding competitions.